This is an AMI podcast. Hello, my friends, and welcome to Accessing Art with Amy. I'm your host, Amy Manti. My pronouns are she, her. I have had such a joy, such a privilege, such an experience to connect with artists who live with disability from all over the world and to bring their stories to you all. But throughout the last few years, I would say I've been asked more than a few times, what is it that I do as an artist? So I thought I would use this, my last episode of Accessing Art with Amy, to tell you all a bit about my artistic practice and a recent or I guess an ongoing project that I'm working on called Through My Lens. The Through My Lens had its humble brainstorming beginnings back in 2019, and then we premiered it at the Vines Festival here in Vancouver in 2021. I started my journey with photography about eight years ago under the teachings of my mentor, Rick Halbert. And while fast forward to this June of 2023, our creative team with Theatre Replacement took through my lens to the Festival of Live Digital Art in Kingston, Ontario. Its traditional name is Cataraqway. And we spent a good week there. Essentially, Through My Lens is a one-on-one experience that tells the story of two of my life's intersections, blindness and photography. So I'm really pleased to introduce my artistic colleagues and also I would just say my friends. I love the bones of these two humans, two out of the many that have helped make Through My Lens a all I'm going to say is success. So we've got uh, Jamie Long with us in the space, and we've got Nico DiCecco in the space. Hello, both. Hello. 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 So, I mean, before we sort of jump into deep conversation, I'd love for you to share a little bit of a of background on who the two of you are. So, Jamie, why don't we why don't we start with you? Who's Jamie? Who is Jamie? That's a really excellent question, Amy. <laughs> it's a very foundational question. It is, and I've I've been struggling with it lately as I approach fifty years old. This is the the second midlife crisis, maybe I'm not sure. Um, Jamie is a theater maker. Jamie is from Ottawa, born, has lived in Vancouver, where he went to SFU in the early '90s and got a theater degree. Um, I've been making theater for I don't know, it's creeping up on thirty years probably. When I do the math, it's actually quite frightening. Um. I now also teach at Simon Fraser University in the theater performance program. The The basis of the work that I do and the continued research that I'm most interested in right now is collaborative processes. How do I, how do we really, not just I, because I'm looking at other processes as well. How do we enter into collaboration? How do, we, how do we work across difference in really healthy, generative ways? How do we, how do we bring conflict and agreement into spaces and, 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 and really dig into those things. That's the work that I've been doing lately. Um, I do it with students. I do it with um, colleagues that I've worked with for years, and I do it with new folks too. And um, to that end, I think this process has been a prime example of, of entering into collaboration in a, a series of different ways with a series of great collaborators. I think I'll leave it at that. I think that's lovely. Nika, how about for you? What do we need to know about your background? Oh boy. Uh, I always struggle with these ones. I've had a bit of an eclectic road. Uh, I started out very excited about academia. I studied English for a long, long time and ultimately got a PhD in English at Simon Fraser University. And 
uh, I, I was much more excited about being a student than I was about being a professor. So I, um, once I graduated, I, I started to look for a new career and found myself working in theater as a stage manager for a lot of indie companies who desperately needed a stage manager, any stage manager. And I was able to fill that niche handily. Uh, but it, it turns out I, I have a background in tech support and I'm a very uh, kind of autodidactic person. So I uh, was keen and quick to learn things on the go. And uh, these indie companies often needed a person who could wear as many hats as possible. So I found myself being a sound designer and a projection designer and a production manager and lighting designer and all these other things. And over a few years, built up those skills uh, to the point where I'm at now. I'm doing a lot of work in video and a lot of work in media design and um, technical direction, logistics, planning, that kind of thing. And really in love with it at the moment, I'm finding a lot of satisfaction, especially as I'm drifting more and more into the artistic design side of these things uh, and less and less on the organizational side, if I can manage it. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. No, nobody loves the administrative stuff. Well, maybe administrators love the administrative stuff. It makes such a difference when you're working with people who are really passionate about a project or just the work that they do in general. And they bring that passion into a project for for me. I, I, you know, I, I'm the one in the space that is the artist with the disability that the two of you um, uh, are, are not identified, uh, don't identify with disability. Um, but it was important to me to work with a collaborative team, right? Like there are, there are certain projects that um, you want to be uh, inclusive of like a disability experience only. Um, and for me, I just wanted to find a great group of collaborators who could do things and bring things to the table that I don't have a skill set for. Um, and for me as an artist, you know, you both know this, but our listeners may not know that um, I've been an artist my entire life. Uh, one of the things I call myself uh, amongst many is an artist of opportunity, more so after I lost my sight because I wanted to be able to collaborate with as many people as possible. So if you are a dancer, I want to work with you. If you are a glass blower, I want to work with you. If you are a, um, I don't know, a wood carver, I want to work with you. Like I want to experience as many different kinds of artistic mediums as possible. And I have, you know, classical training as an actor. That's it. I don't have a degree. I don't have a master's. I don't have a PhD in anything but the hard knocks of life. Uh, but I did do a lot of private acting training before I lost my sight in both film and television and theater. I worked in the film industry and post-production sound for many years before my sight loss journey began. And there was a time where I thought that uh, the world doesn't need a blind actor or performer or writer or creator. There was a, you know, when I when I first lost my sight, I thought to myself, well, how do I go back and find marks on a set or read scripts or make eye contact with other characters on a, on a stage, right? Or in a film. So there are all sorts, I was filled with all sorts of self self-doubt about what my place was in the artistic landscape. And uh, and so it was a real journey for me. And it, it wasn't until I was in a place called uh, the Theatre Replacement New Aesthetics Program with you, Jamie. Um, and there were a bunch of like really cool artists talking about really cool things that they were doing. And I was like, I don't have a cool thing. 
I don't have a cool thing, but I have this idea, you know, that the fact that I'm a photographer that lives with a blindness is kind of a curiosity for many folks. And what would a, what would a piece look like where sighted people are describing to me the photos that I take? Because my process for taking photos is about finding light. So I'm not thinking about what's in the photo, the contents of the photo, but like what the light's doing. And if you click the shutter on light, then you really don't know what's behind it. So uh, Jamie, do you remember that time in that space where where we were all sort of sharing the things we were doing? <laughs> and maybe what helps you to hear this idea? No, I do. And, um, you know, it's just such a freaking great idea. <laughs> Honestly, I felt I like... Yeah. Hey, it's a great idea, and I still wonder my, to myself why is anybody interested, right? Oh, it just isn't. You know, honestly, I'm going to be. I'm going to be honest right now. I felt predatory. I was like immediately. I want in on this thing. I need in on this thing because it just makes so much sense. And this is where the crappy theater producer it popped up because that happens as much as the artist. Sadly, I was like, oh my god, what a. What an easy promotional sentence is this? Yeah. The piece is about a, a, a blind woman who is a photographer. And I'm like, okay, I want to see it. Like, how does this work? How does this work? And then you talk then- about the, the description piece of it and just the inherent generosity immediately that was ringing inside of it. Like that, that generosity on your part to share your photos with people and say, tell me what you see in my art is it takes, it takes things like, criticism and the ugliness of of some feedback methodologies inside of performance and just everything's just built in it's it's always this question of form and content for me how do you bridge the form and the content and it was like kaboom there it is form and content it's absolutely perfect and also i'm a big fan of you amy because that was your second new aesthetics and our first new aesthetic by may um Amy was working, well, they were working with a guy named Malik Gaines, who was just a good time, <laughs> amazing work in the afternoon of exploratory kind of blow, which is like community-based driven work. And then the mornings, you guys were doing absolutely bonkers stuff with Janine Durning, which is uh-huh. non-stopping, which is a, a practice of non-stopping, not stopping moving, not stopping talking. And I remember ta- that was our first introduction to each other, Amy. And I remember going, Oh, uh, this is going to be interesting. <laughs> um, hi, Amy. Welcome to the dance workshop where you just kind of flail around like crazy. Um, have a good time because I wasn't in that part. I was in the afternoon part. No, no. And talking with you, and I want to take your story away about that force field moment, which I thought was. Yeah, I can share that. There's a generosity in it, but also yeah. a, such a bravery. And that's where I said, oh, shit. I, we talked about swearing. I just said it. I said, oh, poop. Yeah. This woman has got it going on. So I'm not going to tell the story, but I invite you to tell it because I love it so much. Would you? Oh, all right. Twist my arm. I'll tell it. Um, I don't know, Nico, if you've heard this story, but in this room, let's say it's about the size of a, I don't know, basketball court for lack of better dimensions, um, a, a sort of dance space. And there were maybe 20 of us in the space. And this practice of non-stopping was really about everybody in their bodies moving without thinking. So you can imagine a lot of, and a lot of these folks were like really classically trained dancers. And my understanding of the practice is really just sort of deconstruct some of that classic training, right? Um, and sort of break down the the concept of what looks good and, you know, uh-huh. what's perfect and perfect toes and all that kind of dancer stuff. And I'm not a classically trained dancer, but I'm fascinated by the the opportunity to try this kind of thing. 
So imagine 20 people in a room who are practicing for 30 minutes at a time and then taking a break, non-stopping, so thinking without moving. And so where do your arms go? Where does your body go? Where do you, how, where, how do you move with other people in a space where there's no form or function or routine or tradition or lines to follow? It's just chaos. And I was terrified. I thought, okay, there's no way that I can do this without, you know, poking somebody in the eye or being poked in the eye myself, literally, without being hurt. So I took a chair and I said to myself, if, as long as I have my hand on this chair, that'll be like, I, if, I, if I'm anchored to this chair, I know where I am in this space. And so that's what I did for 30 minutes. I moved around this chair. I sat on it. I moved on it. I touched it. I moved around this chair and everybody else is moving along the whole room, right? And at the time that we stopped, a couple of folks came up to me and said, well, we noticed you're doing this thing with the chair. Can you tell us about it? So I shared with them what I just shared with you all. And they said, well, we have an offer for you. And I said, oh, okay. And they said, how would you feel if a couple of us became your force field? We will follow you around in the space and we will just tap other people on the shoulder if they're getting a little bit too close to your bubble. And I said, okay, I'm willing to try it. And probably for the first time in my life as a sighted person or a non-sighted person, I touched every surface of that room, every surface on the floor, every surface on the walls that I could reach. I moved in that space like I'd never had the freedom to move before because I didn't have to worry about colliding into people, which were this was the great variable, right? Um, they're the moving thing. The walls don't move. When you come to a wall, you know you've got a wall. And by the end of it, you know, I, I didn't need my cane in that space. I could run across that space. I could judge things in that space. And it was such a freeing feeling to be able to do something with everybody else instead of sort of being othered to do a different thing than everybody else in this space. It was a real, I talk about this moment a lot in the work that I do with teaching artists and how they can make their work like more inclusive without it being like, oh, Amy's the only one in the room sitting doing this exercise or, or do we make it a sitting exercise and everybody sits, right? What are the goals of the exercise and looking at things from that perspective? So it was, it was my first launch into this sort of, making of content and being with this level of people that were thinking about things and even in terms of my own access like beyond where I was able to kind of self-advocate for at that time um and it was just a I, I don't know whether it was theater replacement that reached out to real wheels theater and Rena Cohen but Rena Cohen said oh they've got a couple of subsidized spots and if you want one it's yours and I was like absolutely do I want one absolutely I do I want to make connections I want to meet people and I still am friends with many of the people in that space. And that was, what, 2018, 19, 18, 19, something like that? Something like that. Yeah, I can't. They, yeah, they, it's, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Summer, it might have been summer of 20, 2019, maybe 2018. But it was just such a beautiful in, uh, introduction into my life of, of creatives that I didn't have access to before in the same way. And then I was invited to do it back during the pandemic in an online environment where this is really where I was like, OK, well, this is my idea had it for a long time everybody's sharing all the work they're doing and really all i have is an idea of something i'd like to do and uh and the stars aligned absolutely is that the first time hearing that story nico have you ever heard that story no i've heard i love that story you uh told me that one when i interviewed you for the uh, arts and accessibility piece um that's right a while back yes and that's uh right. I, I actually in fact my favorite moment from that interview was just was you telling that story and ending it with you said the fact that they approached me unprompted 
and yeah. said, hey, we had this idea. Does that work for you? That's accessibility. Yeah. That's allyship. Yeah. That's really, that's I the didn't dream. Have to advocate for my, yeah, I didn't have to advocate for myself. Somebody made an offer and it was one of if, the most beautiful things I'd ever experienced. As is this project through my lens. So, um, mm-hmm. I, you know, after you heard about this idea for this project, Jamie, what was like, what were the next steps? What did we do next? What did you do next? Um, what happens next? I guess the, the, there's a little bit of the hustle kicks in, right? How are we going to make this happen? How are we going to give ourselves the space and time to do it? Um, I'm tr- you know, I'm, tr- so there's the grant writing and all the yada yadas and finding theater replacement to help produce it, which I, I was deeply inside of when we started. And now I'm an associate artist as opposed to an artistic director. So that starts kicking in and going, okay, I think we got the resources and the funds in place to give ourselves the right amount of time to investigate this properly. And then the next step is finding the collaborators. And I, I am admittedly, I have holes in my memory. That is, uh, it's just shocking. Yes. And I'm trying to think when I fell in love with Nico. And I'm trying, when Nico, when did you join us? And I went, oh, oh, we need this person oh, yeah, on course. the project. Yeah. When, when did you first do the first workshop? It's very gratifying to hear that that's how it felt for you. Um, okay. I, I got a message from, um, from Presentation House Theatre. Uh, and I think what had happened, this might jog some memories, I think Joel Grinke was asked if he was available to do some switcher live stream video support and his availability was just a little too strained he couldn't be there all the time he could kind of be there in a consulting uh problem solving troubleshooting support role so giselle from presentation house knew me as one of their go-to live stream people uh she knew i was familiar with their set up with their equipment, which I believe you were intending to borrow. And, mm. uh, and I think that's how I was brought on. The, the process has been so wonderful. I'm going to throw some props right now with, with you, Nico, that I'm just, it, it felt like you had been there even longer, even though you've been here with us for a long time, you feel like you have found yourself so integral you've become so integral to the project because I think I'm going to talk about that just a, a flash about collaboration from my perspective I am the director I think it says director on pieces of paper when I do this thing but one of my core goals inside of directorship is uh, <laughs> or directing Boy. is trying not to be the boss I, I, I don't want to be the boss and I look for those relationships where we can go hey group um, I'm not sure what's going on here, uh, but it's really good. Do you agree? Or I'm not sure what's going on right now, but it ain't right. Uh, can someone see an answer here? Right, and right. I feel for me as a director, that is the job, which is to open up the space to conversation and collaboration. And Nico had become so, you, you integrated yourself so quickly into a relationship that was building really fast with Amy and I. We, we've got a pretty good rapport going, but um, thanks for, um, for finding your way in as you did. It's the perfect situation for me, truth be told. Um, I'm always a little shy and a little cautious when I step onto a new project and I don't know what the vibe is. I don't know people's working styles and I don't want to step on any toes. Uh, I have worked with some people who are more interested in kind of top down. Okay, here's the vision. Here's the idea. I need you to do X. I need you to do Y. Make it happen. And I'm fine with that. That's okay. Um, Mm -hmm. But as I got 
a clear sense of, of the working style for this project, your working style, Amy's working style, um, it became clear that this was a safe space to make suggestions and uh, offer input. Um, and I have to say, you know, uh, heaping praise the other way, I really love your approach, Jamie, to that collaboration you're talking about uh, and your, your approach to directing um, because it's extremely open for anyone's input. But, and, you are very, very clear when something is important to you. Mm, if there, there is, is an aesthetic thing that matters to you for whatever reason, you are not shy to say, I think this must be this way. Mm. And at the same time, if something doesn't work, if you think it's hokey or if you think it's floppy or whatever the case may be, uh, you're, you're not shy. You have no reservations about saying, this doesn't work. This sucks. Let's fix this. Mm -hmm. Great. Uh, and the clarity on, on both of those things is, is extremely refreshing, extremely helpful. Wow. This is a real love-in, Amy. You built a love-in. <laughs> I aimed about, listen, I am such a non-confrontational person and I, <laughs> on, I take conflict so seriously, like so to heart that it, it breaks me a little bit. And so I love it when I'm in an environment where I don't have to worry about like nobody's feelings are going to be hurt. We kind of all have an agreement about how far we can push and how far we can pull each other because it's at the end of the day about the work. And of course, when I come into the space, I think a lot right. of folks may have this sort of sense that, well, it's you're the artist, so you're making all the decisions. And I wanted an environment where I didn't have to make all of the decisions. I don't want to make all of the decisions. And there are things because I didn't go to, to you know, a theater school and I, and I don't have a background as a director or yeah. as, a, as a sound engineer or lighting engineer, any of those things that I needed to seek. I needed to seek that collaborative energy from other folks as much for my own learning, but for my own like sense of sanity, yeah. right? Because you just, you just, you can't build a project like this. As simple as the project is, and I suppose maybe we should talk about what the project is, Mm. Uh, but as sort of as as simple as the premises of it compared to some shows out there that are like big lighting sound, you know, uh, movement based pieces that are really elaborate. This is it feels to me to be very simplistic. There's a lot of moving pieces. And for my first sort of iteration of creating something at this scale where you have grant money that you have to be responsible. for, Those are all things I didn't know how to do or to work with. And nor did I want to be like oh, here's a bunch of receipts I have to keep track of to give to a funder so that I <laughs> can prove I spent this money. Blah, blah, blah. Blind people and receipts are not, we're, uh, we're not best friends. I guess <laughs> I shouldn't say that for all blind people. I and receipts are not best friends. We'll just say that. So I, I don't know. Um, I'm curious if one of you wants to jump in and say, what is the project? Because it seems like I should just tell folks, but I would love to sort of hear it from your all's perspective. Huh. I want to immediately play some kind of telephone tag game to explain the project to be to have the fun thing that going. That sounds fun. Let's I do just it. don't know how it works. Let's let's. Well, maybe we just go through the order of events of the show. Can we try that? It might be a little sure. bit. Sure, sure. I'll start because I started this nonsense idea. Let's see if it actually holds. I think people enter into a space knowing that they're going to engage if they've read the program notes uh, with a photographer who also happens to be blind and they're going to get to describe photographs and Amy welcomes into this, them into the space Thanks. and does a land acknowledgement and offers them some tea to start with to get them nice and comfy because it's a one-on-one -on -one experience. I'll yeah. start there. 
I'll add. Yeah, good. The space itself, just to describe it, um, is fairly simple. There are four stands set up with uh, some grayish material hanging off of them, forming a little postage stamp square in the middle of the room. And off to one side, you would see me sitting at a desk with a whole bunch of gadgetry. And inside the postage stamp, there is a small desk with a computer monitor attached to it. And there's uh, two chairs and a camera on a tripod pointed at one of the chairs. From the yeah, T, I'll pass it to Amy. The T, okay. So um, so you come into this, this uh, like a little bit of a light box. There's four projector screens. So we're calling it the postage stamp in Nico's analogy. But you come into the space and I immediately offer you a cup of tea. It's about building a relationship with the individual. Originally designed to be a one-on-one -on -one kind of experience. Um, and we sit and we have a cup of tea together and I introduce you to my camera and I take some portraits of you and I always say to my guest in this space that I am not asking you to pose for a portrait, that this is about me hearing for moments and not about what's on your face. Because um, I think for me, the whole premise of this is the fact that if my taking photos, if the photo itself is about the memory of the taking it and not what's in it, then there's different contexts to be able to bring to conversation, right? So if my memory mm -hmm. of taking somebody's photo, their portrait, is the time we've shared together, because I'm not going to see what's on their face. I'm just going to remember the conversation that we've had together. Um, so that's sort of how we start. I, I offer to take your portrait and then I ask you to um, to describe some photos to me and we talk through them. What do we talk about, Jamie, when we talk through them? Oh, you know, it changes because um, you really, this is where I think the biggest growth happened at Voldo when we did the, the show is we have set moments. There's a trajectory or a skeleton or framework that the show sits on. But, and there's a script of sorts or a performance text, if you want to get more contemporary with our language. But I found what was most beautiful is how you eventually found this ease of living inside the conversation of salient points, as we called it, and also not being shy to say, okay, that section's done, like to intimate that section's done. Now let's move into the next section with this great ease and this confidence and a clarity for the guests to go, oh, great. I guess we finished that section. Let's move into the next one, because that's essentially what happens over the show is people describe your work back to you. They choose photographs from a selection of photographs. Sometimes you give them an exact photograph. Everybody gets the same fence photograph to talk about. So that's a nice way for you to get a sense of who they are. They talk about photographs. You talk about your childhood home photograph, which is one of my favorite moments. You talk about how you lost your sight, which is, um, it's not climactic, but it's this big reveal on your part. That's a very generous reveal, I think. And people go, they, they get so much information in that moment. And so the conversation inside of that can go in any which direction as it has. Um, we watched so many people do it, and it was just such a beautiful demonstration of subjectivity and relational practice of how conversation changes depending on who you're having a conversation with. Surprise, surprise. You can't set a text to that. Nico, you want to pick up the ball? I do. So you cover the bases, describe some photos back to you. During the part where um, you talk about losing your sight, the photographs we put up are not photographs you've taken. 
they are photographs taken of your eye, the inside of it, and the damage therein. And it's one of my favorite moments in the show. We are very, very zoomed in on a scan of your eyeball, and everyone struggles uh, to describe even basically what they're seeing in front of them, squiggles and blobs and abstract shapes. And then by the time it's fully zoomed out, almost everyone knows exactly what it is. And that conversation there that follows is really, really compelling. Um, but once it's done, we return to a photo we've seen of your house and we apply a filter to that photo that you and I, Amy, created together, which sort of in an artistic way approximates the way you see. And then we get to what I think is the culmination of the show. I just love this moment. So we've applied this filter and we then draw people's attention to the monitor uh, that's been sitting there the whole time, just black. And a portrait of them comes up on the screen. And that portrait, they get a chance to react to it and say how it makes them feel. And then we apply the filter, the Amy Vision filter to that portrait and ask them again, how does it make you feel? We always get these lovely responses. Almost everyone says uh, there's a sense of calm and ease and kind of appreciation for this photo that doesn't quite look like them anymore, but still somehow represents them in, in an honest, beautiful way. And then I walk out and I hand the person an envelope that contains a printed version of that photo. They're always surprised that it happened so quickly. They get a little parting gift, yeah. And every time the printer goes off in the background, I think, oh, that the surprise is blown now. But everybody's like, what? What? So they must be so in the zone yeah. um, of conversation that they don't really hear the inkjet printer going in the background while you're printing out the photo. I think that's exactly right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a, you know, one of the things that I had said to you all when we were creating this is that I don't want people leaving saying, Oh, that sucks. She 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 really doesn't see a lot. That sucks. Because for me, this is not about, you know, feel sorry for me because I don't see the way you see. For me, this is about there's a lot of beauty and a lot of blindness gain. There's a lot of things that I love about the way I interpret the world. And those are the things that I want people leaving with is this idea of I'm thriving, right? You don't have to feel sorry for me or really anybody else that lives with blindness or partial sight because we all just find different ways of doing things. If you're the kind of person who's like, this is the life I've got to live and I'm going to live it, then you live it, right? Um, and one of the other things that was so important to, well, certainly to me, and Jamie, you kept asking me this all the time, which is how much advocacy versus how much education versus like how much art, mm -hmm. right? And so do you want to talk a little bit about how we brought in accessibility into this process? I th yeah, I think we brought it in very slowly and carefully, and it was discussion based. We talked about it all, like I think my my the conversations we had about education versus art making are it's it's a really important conversation. It's a constant conversation I've had right now because instinctually I want to avoid uh, a polemic or a PSA inside of art making yeah. because everybody's experiences are so different and. There's also, I think, um, an aversion to 
telling people things that we think they should know mm-hmm. in art making. There's a place for that. Always a place for that. But you want people to discover things that they don't already know. And that's where I think the magic place of art is. When people can experience something and go, oh, oh, I didn't ever think about that that way. But to make those connections based on the small pieces of information we give them over the 45 minutes or the hour and a half or whatever whatever length of show we're trying to make. So, and this is probably my own sort of aesthetic persuasions where I want space. I want space to consider ideas as opposed to be told ideas. And that was always, I think, at the root of the conversation. And I'm very happy with where we got to because I think people were making discoveries. There was space for you to discover things on your own as well, which was beautiful. When you weren't responsible for being an advocate, I can see you go, when we did with Georgina, I saw you make so many discoveries inside of that process. And it was just or that process of, of show giving, that that's the space I'm looking for. That's the 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 capaciousness of 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 making really good art. And for folks who don't know, Georgina was a guest that we had at the Festival of Live Digital Art when we took this work in June 2023 to Kingston, Ontario, and we did a live stream version of this because, again, you know, one of the pushbacks I think we get from from festival uh, organizers is. Well, if it's a one-on-one, it's really not a big box office sell, right? Like Amy's got to perform five shows a day. And even then, you're only selling five tickets a day, right? So um, so we had a live stream version, amongst other versions, for that festival <laughs> where um, where Georgina came in the space and we had cameras set up and we sort of broadcasted out to anybody who wanted to log in and watch it. And it was really one of my favorite. Um, I mean, I have such fond memories of every guest in the space and the beauty of doing like one-on-one is that you can, you know, you're not doing like a thousand shows and you have to, you know, you can, you can kind of remember some of each guest, which is really nice. Um, But one of the things I remember very distinctly, Jamie, where you and I sort of had to come to this compromise was this piece at the end where I was like, I don't want them to leave thinking that this is tragic. Right. And then the pushback was like, well, what, what if that is how they feel? Right. Like, Mm, you know, so unless they tell me that they feel this is tragic, I don't just offer a, by the way, this is not tragic. Right. I let them leave because I always ask people at the end if they have any questions for me or any thoughts or reflections, that kind of thing. And if somebody says, yeah, your life must really suck, then I'll address that question. But if it's really like, no, I just learned so much, then I don't need to address that question. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I would be my happiest would be them leaving going, wow, does her life suck? No, no, it doesn't suck. That's yeah. is, that's the process I was looking for. <laughs> it, might, it might take them a day or two days going, oh, my God, those images of her eyeball are so intense. Oh, how? how? Um, um, the stories she just told, I, I, I just can't imagine myself in that position because you talked about that, too, that everybody's greatest fear is blindness. In yeah, the, the number one fear disability on the planet. And it's the number one question I get asked all the time. How did I go blind? Such a I curiosity because people want to figure out how they avoid it. <laughs> That's right. True, right? That's okay, I'll just, I just won't do what Amy did, and then I won't have to go blind, right? Well, that's a natural response, and I think that's a response and a, and a way of seeing the world, uh, no pun intended, um, that's not going to change in folks. You yeah. know, I think there's still going to be a fear of blindness because it's really heavy. It's a heavy, so much of it, as you know, all too well, our world is built for sighted people. And it doesn't take a lot of imagination to close your eyes and try to walk down a street to go, 
God, this would be difficult. This would be really difficult. So for people to have the experience of going, I'm kind of scared to enter this space because I'm going to be with another person that whose experience is kind of frightening to me. And then to leave after 60 minutes and go, you know what? It's still frightening to me, but now I have a totally different perspective on it. Yeah. That feels like really good art. Favorite moments? We don't have a heck of a lot of time left in the space together, but I'm wondering, Nico, have you got any favorite moments of being at the uh, Folda Festival in Kingston or any hopes and desires for where this project goes next? You know, it's funny when you said favorite moments, I was trying to discern if it's favorite moments from doing the show or favorite moments from making the show. Um, And I really did love the creation process. This is something I've said to you before, but, and we've talked about a fair bit, but good access is good for everyone. Even Mm -hmm. if uh, you are not a person who has specific access needs and our, our approach to creating this was so human, so flexible. Um, it was, it was really such a joy to show up every day. Uh, I was in a situation where I was learning a new piece of software that is has sort of endless potential. And in that first week, there were a lot of things, you know, we identified that needed to be done and I just had to learn how to do them. And so I, I came in on the weekend and like worked for throughout the day and bashed my head against the wall, trying to figure the stuff out and, and had some right, support right. as well through, through some collaborators. And once I'd gotten over that crest and I understood really how the software worked, um, things got very, very easy really. And I could take days off and we would take days off in the middle of the week because like he would have an appointment or I would have an appointment or uh, I would need dog care or whatever the thing was. And that we could really just be honest with each other and meet one another where we were in those moments. One of the best working experiences of my life. And I think it's due in large part because uh, we prioritized good access. So not really a specific moment, but that's that's what I take away from this. We were very much honoring crip time. (laughs) Five-hour rehearsal days. (laughs) That's a very, very honorable crip time kind of thing. That kind oh, of flexibility. Just... It's good for everybody. Oh my God. I, I don't I can't use that word. I don't feel comfortable using that word, but <laughs> I'd say that for crip and non crip. I just said it. Like five yep. hours a day of intense creative practice. Uh, particularly when people have lives surrounding it and other jobs, as you do, yep. Amy, as Nico did, as I do. That's We're right. gonna fill those other three or four hours in a flash. So let's just dig in for real for five hours and then go about all our other panics, you know, it makes yeah. sense. What's uh, what's your favorite moment or moments or thoughts for yeah. this project, Jamie? You know, there's, there's a ton. There is a ton. And, um, you know, there was the one woman in Kingston who was coming back to take care of her folks who was just yeah. one of the most unique people I've, I've ever seen on a stage. Krista. Such a fantastic character. But you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna hold on to another one, which was one that was just it was smaller. Nico, you weren't there. Sadly, it was with um, Jordan and Amy and myself out at the K Meek Center in West Van. When we took a little pause and we just went outside into that little courtyard, that really flowery little courtyard that had the flowers that I don't know the names of, and we just talked about our sensory experiences sitting on those little benches. It was purely exploratory. None of it made it into the show. 
But I went, wow, is this ever a valuable moment just to sit with yourself and Jordan? I, I took a couple photos because it felt so magical and it felt integral to the show's development, even though I had a bubbling suspicion in my belly that none of it would make it into the show. Never. It was purely an experience that I think brought us together in a really nice way. And that I think that set some of the tone for the, the work to come. You know, I, I too have many, many, many fond memories of, of all the workshops we did and the traveling that we did. And I'm excited about the things that are going to come. But I would say for me, some of the most interesting stuff, I mean, everything that happened at Folda was so lovely. Um, however, the, uh, the number of guests that we brought in to sort of test the model uh, mm. in the week before we went to Kingston were, okay. uh, we had such a diverse group of people from different disabilities to different um, diverse backgrounds and different, um, you know, heritage backgrounds and ethnic backgrounds and racial backgrounds in order to, you know, figure out what was going to be accessible for everybody and to know that people may respond to a photo with something that I'm totally not prepared for, right? Because as every, if every person is different, you know, this is what, 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 when we experience Georgina in the space and yeah, yeah. folks who are listening to this podcast may very well be able to access that, that link at some point, they want to check it out. But the, you know, one of the photos that we brought up, I said to Georgina, what does this remind you of? And she said, colonization because she's an indigenous person. And, you know, not everybody's going to say, oh, this reminds me of like a lovely picnic I used to have in my grandma's backyard when I, you know, they're not all happy memories. So how do I, as the artist, pivot in a moment when somebody says something that this reminds me of something that's tragic in my life, right? Or something I've experienced or something I know, right? When we get to shed tears together. So there, mm -hmm. I, I take away a little piece from every person that comes through the through my lens doors and yeah. um and i hold space for those folks i want to make them feel comfortable i want to make them uh comfortable to share and to feel vulnerable in a space so um not only was it a pleasure to work with all of you and it will be to continue to work with all of you it was just a it's a pleasure to be in spaces with strangers who just sort of like unburden themselves on you in whatever way they need to in that moment yeah feels like a real privilege so what's next for really our does. little project? Next for the little project, it's, well, yeah, I, I just want to show it more and more to different folks. And I think we're going to start to work on that now uh, concertedly. I think there's a very good chance we'll find ourselves back in Eastern Canada soon. And the way these things work, we can't really say anything, but the conversation well, is happening. Um, I know we'll, we'll perform it in Vancouver again. We got to share it in Vancouver because there's a lot of people that didn't get to see it either as test audiences or whatnot when we first did it and I um, will find a way to do that. And then we'll continue just to let people know it exists. You know, it's um, I think it's, it's a really, really special show and it's a really unique show and, and, and it'll tour for a little while. If not, there's nothing that'll ever date it, you know, yeah. not, it's going to become dated. Well, Maybe the, the camera technology might change, but the act and the intention won't. Okay. And the ability to take photos anywhere in a world you might be in. Yeah. Yeah. It's always a possibility. Well, I'm excited about the future. I know that we're working on putting together a website where some content can live, and that will be through mylens.ca. Um, so stay tuned. It may not be built right away, but stay tuned. That is the the greatest plan and hope is to have some photographs up there and maybe have some testimonials or have some links of uh, to past works that we've shared, right? So uh, a place to house all of these things we've collected, and I'm really excited about 
what what that looks like too. It's great. Yeah, that's I mean that's it, friends. That's a wrap. Um, I'm so excited about what 2024 holds, and I uh, I wouldn't want to be on this journey with anybody else but you all. Thanks. Likewise. Thanks both. Thank you so much. Before I say goodbye, I want to leave you with this last quote, and perhaps the most important one, from Albert Einstein. Imagination is more important than knowledge. Knowledge is limited. Imagination enriches the world. Thanks for listening to Accessing Art with Amy. As this podcast is ending, I want to just take a moment to thank the listeners for all of their generous words and feedback. But this is not the end for me, friends. Effective Saturday, September the 2nd, 2023, I'll be hosting AMI Audio's Podcast Roundup Show. Every week, I'll be presenting one of AMI's podcasts in its entirety. I'll also be introducing listeners to other disability-related podcasts from around the world and meeting some of their creators. Podcast Roundup will air at a new time on AMI-audio, weekends at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. Accessing Art with Amy was produced by me, Amy Amanti, on the unceded traditional territories of the Squamish, Musqueam, and Tsleil-Waututh First Peoples, colonially known as Vancouver, British Columbia. And a big thank you to the technical producer, Jacob Shymansky, and the manager of AMI-audio, Andy Frank. Keep exploring art, friends, and you too can become an artist of opportunity. Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books, where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts.